imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Surprise, everybody. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Welcome to the surprise. Uh, This is a uh, special Sunday edition of Protonic Reversal. Very happy to be here uh, with you. Get fitting a few of these in before I go back out on a small tour uh, for the rest of the month. And very excited for this one because uh, we, we got we got a Brainiac. We got a Brainiac. We got an Enon. An we got a, a Vertical Scratcher. We got a, a Caribou. And we're going to be talking to uh, John Schmerschel shortly. But first, first, before anything, I'm going to do this annoying spiel here. Uh, welcome to Conan Neutron's Proton Reversal. I am your host, Conan Neutron. I am a rock and roll lifer who has toured and recorded for over 22 years. Most known for the band, Conan Neutron the Secret Friends. Music is a huge part of my life, and I use the format of this very long-running podcast to talk about music with musicians whose work I enjoy and respect. Folks that may or may not be household names, but do something very special. This is episode 311. If this is your first time Listen to the show. All the archives are at protonconversal.com and are always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. And if you'd like to support the show and get episodes sooner, you can give $1 a month to patreon.com slash protonconversal. And if you like the show or even just a single episode, please feel free to share it along, like, subscribe, or post a review. All that helps people find the show. And this is a darn nice thing to do, really, when it comes down to it. I mean... Don't you want to do nice things? What's wrong with you? Anyway, uh, so without further ado, well, a little ado, uh, let's talk to returning guest, John Schmerschel. Uh, John, it's good to have you, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course, last time I talked with you was uh, the whole band, or rather, you know, the who, uh, Tyler and uh, Monasterio. Um, mm-hmm. And that was great. It was in... Uh, like the not the basement, like the back room of the venue. I had like a weird setup I borrowed from my friend Isaac. <laughs> like it was kind of ramshackle to what. Yeah, I used I'm a to. little bit. I I remember now it was in L.A. because I remember you were at the Dayton show. But I was. Somehow I imagine it being backstage in Dayton, but it was not. It was in uh, what was that place called? The Regent. The Regent. That's right. And uh, you had. Like Fred Armisen did a song with you, uh, and uh, that was a great night. Actually, that was a that was a really lovely night, and I it just it was a weird confluence of things that I happened to be around to see it, and I was uh, happy to see it. Uh, why? Why do you remember why you were in L.A.? 
I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just counting my blessings, really, you know. Uh, Speaking of the confluence of things, there were a lot of people at that show that uh, I was surprised to see, I guess, that, um, yeah, that weren't necessarily like L.A. people or yeah. like. You know, I count on coming to the show, but as a nice surprise, it was like just like a lot of surprises. So it was cool. I think I happened to be on the West Coast for like completely unrelated non rock and roll events and then had a flight back and like changed my flight or something because I, I heard that it was happening. Uh, but I remember it was very, I remember I left the next morning <laughs> and that was oh. rough. <laughs> that was not not my favorite place to be as LAX uh, in, in the early morning. Oh, LAX man. in general, but. <laughs> Exactly. That's the what. That's the way to phrase it, Conan. The LAX is just an inhospitable place, and uh, I'm glad that I live in the desert now, and so I don't really have to use. I I, I prefer not to use LAX, is what I should say. Yeah, I mean the first. I, I feel like the first time I ever used the the Burbank airport it was like a life hack where i'm like oh my god this is like well first of all it's in like a mall which is like kind of weird it's like okay there's a mini mall that has an airport that's bizarre um, i mean it's cl- depending on where you live unless you live on the west side like it's it's closer to everything else too so yeah it really just depends because of course it's a smaller airport which means it just goes it, you know it's not an international hub so it may add on a flight out here i i go to palm springs airport palm and springs? which is yeah. also my favorite maybe my favorite airport in the world i'm not i've I, uh, but, uh, I'll say that if you're, you, it automatically means you're going to have to take probably an extra flight is the bad. That's the downside, right? Yeah. Except I don't care. (laughs) I'd rather, I'd rather take an extra flight than like drop deal with LAX. Deal with LAX. That's my guy. That is, it's like the, it's like the Pennsylvania turnpike. It's been under construction for like years and years and years. And I don't, I hope someday it'll be great, but it's just it's just one of the most annoying airports to go to. And uh, the last time I had to use it was during this, uh, like the caribou year of touring. And I actually have a crazy story about it, which if you are yeah, really going to share. I, I do want to get into it. Um, uh, f- please finish. Finish. I mean, finish. What you're I mean, I'll finish. try and be short, Conan. You know, I, I if you've. You've talked to me a few times, and so you know I'm not very good at keeping it short. But it's I will. A, it's try. a long form show, John. So you're yeah, yeah. you're good. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try at least like not make tangents inside of this one story I'm going to tell. But uh, anyway, so it just it's it's a lesson about the the you know getting back to being able to go on the road and all that stuff. And I I guess what a lot of people out there don't really, I guess, think about or negotiate. And, you know, as things change or whatever, I had California State has a, a QR code system. So once you have your like your vaccination, uh, you know, you have your card and, and stuff, right. you can go to California website and put in your information and it will spit out a QR code, which is like, in my mind, more legitimate than carrying around this little like library card thing from the that's easily you can buy in the internet apparently which is like great that that happened like three seconds after they made those i think exactly (laughs) anyway so you know i've 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 already done this is in the very beginning of the of the year though things are like kind of half opened up and people are vaccinated or some people are and so i uh brad our our drummer in caribou he he books all the flights and he was kind of insistent i forget where i was going to 
I was going to France and I was already going through one, you know, it's going to be like two flights anyway, because uh, it was a smaller city in France. And so he was like really kind of insistent that I fly out of LA. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. And my friend was visiting. And so we ended up, he was going to be house sitting. And so he ended up driving me out to LAX and dropped me off. And uh, I'm, I'm there waiting at the Virgin Airlines, like the front of the check-in. And there's the there's the check-in, but before the check-in and the and the the turnstiles for this stuff, there's a right. guy, and he's looking. He's like asking for like the pa- the passenger locator form and uh, like you know the your your COVID passport thing. So right. I pull out the stuff. Oh, actually, no, I wasn't going to France. I was going to England. That's why I had this English passenger locator form thing. And then I had. Uh, Basically, he's like, let me see your, your COVID stuff. And I whoop out my phone and I show him the QR code. And we're in Los Angeles. Right. So, like, it's, it's California State. And he's like, well, do you, no, I, I need to see, do you have the, the paper, your, your CDC paper? And I was like, oh, I flipped to a different page in my phone and show him a picture of the CDC thing because I had that too. And he's like, sir, I need the piece of paper. I need the CDC card. I'm like, you want the like quarter page forgeable. I was just basically like, I started flipping out a little bit. And I'm like, this is the California QR code, sir. And I've already, I've flown over several times. Like why I've been in England already. And so anyway, I'm. I start freaking out. I, he, he, I'm like, can I speak to the manager? Like I told him, like, you know, I went well, there. I had to go there. <laughs> and I was, luckily I got to the, the airport early. I was there like three hours early. But at this point I was like, I started having a panic attack. And I like, we have a band like gr- group uh, WhatsApp. And so I wrote everybody. I'm like, guys, I'm like, I'm losing my mind a little bit. Please talk me off of the ladder here. Like, uh, and Ryan, who the guitarist lives in San Francisco, I'm like, he, he was already at the SFO airport. And I was like, are they asking, are you asking you for the piece of paper? Yeah. Like, he's like, no, I don't know, man. What? No, no, everything's fine over here. And I was like, I, I, there, they started like kind of talking like, uh, you know, just uh, other, other options. One would be like, okay, whatever. If you can't get that flight, we'll just like, We'll get you a new ticket. You'll fly to San Francisco since Ryan obviously isn't having this problem. Right. And then, you know, they were trying to say, like, maybe you could go around because I already did another thing where I was like, oh, maybe I'll just subvert this guy and I'll just try and go to the actual check-in. Because the first I, – I tried to do that, and, of course, they're like, sir, you need a stamp. Like, this guy was, like, basically giving you an approval thing you were supposed to give to them after he made sure you had your locator form and all this stuff. Anyway, finally I was just like, okay – I'm starting to sound like Karen or Craig or whatever. Like, <laughs> I need to, I need to walk this back. I kind of got like a little bit like surly with this guy, but but just sort of like reasonably so. So I went back and I'm just sort of like, sir, I'm still here early enough. Like, what do I have to do to make this flight? Like the piece of the CDC paper is is in the desert. I also called my friend who dropped me off at the airport and he was yeah. like waiting about 20 minutes away. I'm like, can you pull over? Yeah. I might Don't to- leave. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, you might have to take me back to the desert so I can like grab my CDC card. Oh my and uh, anyway, I'm like, what can I do? Okay. What, is there any way I can get on this flight? 
without the CDC card? Like with what I have, what, what can I possibly do? And he's like, you can go down to the Tom Bradley, like, you know, international side where they're doing the COVID tests. You can take a COVID test and then you can fill out a new, and if it's negative, you can fill out a new passenger locator form as an unvaccinated person entering <laughs> the UK. And I'm like, really? That's, that's it. And we were going to, we were going to go. I remember we, we were going to arrive and then the, we, I was, I was arriving practicing that day. And then we were going to start shows that week. All yeah, you week. got a so, tight schedule, but a lot of people don't realize for like fly and stuff, even for bigger bands, the schedules tend to be very tight. Yes. So I would not have time to go to England quarantine for a or whatever the time period would be to quarantine. Obviously, I'm just going to, I'm supposed to go right into the thing. So I'm like, this is ridiculous. I've already done, I've already been to England. I've already shown that I've been vaccinated and been to England that way. But I was just like, okay, thank you, sir. And I ran, I like ran with all my stuff down there. I got the test. It came back in 20 minutes, luckily, paid whatever it was, $300 to get this fast ah. test. Uh, and then I filled out the new passenger locator form as a non-vaccinated person with a with a negative COVID test, and I got on the flight. By the way, there was a whole thing about like I actually ended up leaving from Tom Bradley anyway, but they but for whatever reason my check-in was at this other like terminal, and uh -huh. so after I got through from running and doing all this stuff, I went up to this i went up two flights of stairs came down then went down the flights of stairs through the through all the security and all that stuff and then got on a bus that took me over to tom bradley <laughs> none of that made any sense at all but anyway i went over there and i was like okay everything's fine i have this like stupid new one i filled out and i have this old one which was like my actually vaccinated Your stuff and i'm just like one, I'm, just gonna, yeah. I'm just gonna go i'm just gonna give them the one that's vaccinated yeah, because it makes sense. I'll just ignore that I that this closer. asshole made me do this thing. Yeah, and so it they didn't even care in England. They they were kind of starting to not like really. If you had it filled out, they were just sort of like, "Cool, you have the sting. You jump yeah. through the hoop, and it's fine." And I kind of did that, and I went through, and everything was fine in England. And about and I practiced, and we started playing shows. And about like six days later, there was our show in London. So it's the night. It's the day before. And I'm in this hotel in London. And I get a message from Dan that says, "Hey, uh, Natasha, his wife, just wrote me and said that some guy from the WHO like came by the house looking for John David." Because <laughs> <Wow. laughs> I said that I put their address is where I would be quarantining, yeah. <sighs> and I was, and she just was like. They're like, is John David here? And she was, she was leaving the house with the kids, and she was just like, yes, John David is here. He's sleeping upstairs right now. <laughs> and like, and I, basically, I was wow. just like, oh, my gosh, they're coming after me. And they weren't doing that anymore. For a while, I had, I had a lot of friends who were telling me the stories about the, the W, you know, the, the you know, the, uh, not the World Health Organization. What am I saying? The, uh, whatever the English branch of the CDC is, was yeah. like, yeah, yeah. calling people making sure they're quarantining and stuff like that and they weren't even they weren't even doing that anymore i mean just like imagine the number the amount of like outsourcing of that stuff that has to right, happen right of course so anyway, yeah, subcontractors i finally called a zillion times yeah yeah i called a zillion times and finally got someone who was just like thank well at least i explained the whole story and i was like bracing myself and he's like well at least you made it over my friend and like you know, 
you're not the only person this has happened to, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, it was all fine in the end, but I was just sort of like, I never bothered to like, uh, you know, uh, vent my frustration to Virgin because I just figured like it probably caught up with them. Like people were just like, what in the fuck are you guys doing with this thing? But that (laughs) happened in almost every, over the course of the year, traveling internationally, like that kind of stuff not that bad, but that kind of stuff was happening all the time. We were just sort of like the inconsistencies of like where each country was with, with it at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. So. It's, it's not just the, the restrictions themselves. It's the, it's the inconsistency of them, right? It's, it's a fact. And, and inconsistency, yeah. not just uh, country to country, but state to state, city to city, airport to airport, agent to agent. I mean, it, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's preposterous. And, it's, it's, and you're trying to do a thing. And you're and you're trying to you know you're not trying to split the atom. <laughs> you think you <laughs> and, make, and make no mistake about it. I wasn't. I I certainly like yeah. Like like I told you, I didn't want to seem like this like brash, inconsiderate yeah, person you do, who you, exactly was avoiding was not trying to live up to the protocols of the you know the coronavirus you know thing. Yeah. So I was definitely wanted to be there for it. Was just sort of like. Come on. But it was definitely a character building thing that I think throughout <laughs> the year we all uh, developed a pretty thick skin for how to like just navigate this new layer. You know, it's like 9-11 yeah. brought a whole layer for anyone traveling yes. Uh, yes. in airports. And like this this whole thing was just like all, a whole, whole new extra like, you know. Layer of, um, of can you hear that thing? Did that come through on you? Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, what thing? Did did did, did it make a noise or something? Uh, my my phone my phone is pinging on the screen, so I'm hoping that it's not interrupting our. our is it coming in through through your? No, no, it sounds good. It came into my ears. Did you hear my phone going off? No, I'll, no. Yes, you're 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 coming in. I'm gonna turn it off. Maybe that will help. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Well, can you so can you just and again we don't worry, folks. We're gonna get to the very next stuff. We're gonna get to Ian. We're gonna get Crooks on tape. But like, can you tell me how you got involved with? <laughs> because I think that like a lot of people maybe that come from the more world of knowing you from Brainiac don't even necessarily realize that you're a live member of that band, and that's been for a while now. So Caribou, yeah, since two thousand nine. Well. Yeah. Uh, basically. I mean, around the time, uh, 2008 is, I mean, you know, there was the economic crash. Enan was, uh, Matt, Matt stopped playing with us and started playing with Holy Fuck. And um, Touch and Go stopped, kind of like started closing things down as far as being a, a label and distributor and was kind of moving towards just being like a back catalog label. And that that like all happened at once. Uh, I think we lost our booking agent. They they like they moved upstream to like you know conglomerate with uh sure. I I forget now, but yeah you know the the very common thing that happens with that. And so uh, and I like wasn't getting freelance work. You know like the whole uh, the whole economy collapsing really had an effect on my <laughs> my uh, little freelance world as well. So yeah. it was just like. I started uh I started looking elsewhere for things and I came across my uh my emails uh that Caribou was 
looking for a bass player and I was really into, I, I liked a few of their records, but the newest one at the time, Andorra, I was a huge fan of. And so I ended up inquiring and uh, basically sent in an audition after after Dan wrote back. And uh, I guess they liked me. <laughs> Dan well, asked about around about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's basically about it, really. I didn't know. I didn't know the guys. Uh, I'd never met them before or anything like that prior to that. But I just kind of wrote a letter about myself and describing sort of like um if they didn't know what, what i'd done before done. yeah and that and that also that you know i mean the experience of me being in brainiac for instance i mentioned that like i have been the like the i played the supporting role in a band before even, right. even if, if you know Ian and all this other stuff like I I know how to I'm not going to like try and usurp your like thing or whatever. I I'm I'm very good at being like the supporting role. So I think that was and then I sent in the demo and I think they were looking for someone who could sing really loud and obviously play bass well um because I I think in the past singing had been sort of in the in the back seat like the the person in the Lord who I'd replaced was a great singer, but between he and Dan, they, they, it's hard to also project over a band with two drummers. So they really wanted yeah, someone a lot who going on. Like, sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so I think that's why I got the job basically. Well, and, and you mentioned something very important, which is it's a different set of skills to be, uh, you know, a ensemble player as, and the front person, you know, and, and it's and, absolutely, and, and you've done both and, you know, not to put too, not to put too fine a point on it, like that's something that when you know I, the, the thing in Dayton that, that I saw, which was which was fantastic for the documentary, and the thing in the uh, in L.A. where I actually got to see the documentary. That's the first time I got to see it. Uh, were beautiful, and that was awesome and like celebratory. But uh, you know, you had the guest singers on for that, but it's also like you had to kind of change the role a little bit from what you had done. Uh, in the band's yeah. original iteration, right? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how much. I imagine a lot of thought went into that, but you know, it's it's also an advantage that, you know, obviously, like one of the one of the great rock and roll frontmen of our time was uh, <laughs> was in your band, and then it's you've got a yeah. different style, so you got to fit uh -huh. that in, right? I mean, uh, one of the funny things for me, it's wow. Did you hear that? I definitely heard that. Yeah. Okay. See, <laughs> I gotta I gotta do something about this. Let me see. Hold on. Is there a way I can shut this thing off? Hold on. Let me see. <laughs> He's putting on silent mode. I've never, uh, <laughs> hope there's a way to just shut her down, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, getting back to it, I guess, like, I, um, uh, the other thing about it was, I don't think a lot of folks know out there that, like, bass was actually my first instrument. And, Interesting. Yeah. uh, I'd played it in bands. I mean, I played bass in Enon sometimes when Toko was playing keyboards and singing and oh, stuff yeah, like course. that. Yeah. But um, I mean, I one of my other things was just like I I really liked Caribou's music, and actually I started out being a, a like a, a finger bass player, like playing with my hands. But I never really that's for a certain kind of music, and I never right. really was like I didn't do that in Enon ever. I didn't do it hardly in any other band that I did play bass in because it 
it wasn't appropriate for the music. And so I was really excited to be, be playing my original instrument in the way that I learned to play it and, and really enjoyed. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's funny to reverse those roles. I, I still, to this day, like, I mean, a lot of people think that I play guitar in caribou just because they associate me with my guitar playing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, um, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, figuring out how to do it, actually, it wasn't that you, you said, like, maybe it was a lot of work or that it was a lot of uh, a lot to overcome. And not that it wasn't. Uh, I felt I guess I felt at the time when we were doing those Brainiac shows that we we were doing it sort of like a review. And we were re- we were definitely relying on like having guest singers to sing different songs, right. which I guess that's that what made, I'm driving at. Made it easier for me. Like yeah. I only, I was only singing songs that I felt like I could play my parts and, and sing the parts for, or we would have a guest singer or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so by the time we did the show in LA that you saw with Fred I mean, you saw the Dayton one as well. That had a, a load of guest singers like with, uh, you know, Kate, Kate from Luck, so which forth. was awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was that was. I, I love that she got all the uh, the quote unquote creepy songs, if you if oh, you yeah. will. Which I was like, that's perfect. I love it. That was I so can't beautiful. Even remember, I I gave people choices to sing things, and I, I think she, but I but I think I I I put a couple more on her plate, and I I mean, I just once I she's so good. Heard her sing one of them, I I knew she could do them all. Like you know, I mean, it would have been it would. It would have totally worked had she been just the singer in my mind as well. She's so adaptable and and skilled mm-hmm. and and has such presence and power. She's she's uh, uh that was just so nice to see. And of course, the uh, lung actually playing support as well, which was also awesome as well. I mean, that was mm-hmm. just, that was just freaking great. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like you have to you have to make those choices because some things you like you didn't play guitar on those songs live um, or you play guitar on those songs live but you weren't singing like the main part so how could you possibly you need like <laughs> like you need to be like uh, the goddess Kali with like extra I, arms or something right <laughs> more just like I didn't write those songs or I didn't write yeah. the parts like you know what I mean they were they were there I made them more complicated because I didn't have anything else to do and it's not as if you can't like definitely I'm sure you could have muscle memory. Yeah. Everything's muscle memory. Sure. So it is just really practice. So if I really, really had to do it, uh, I, I suppose I could find a way, but some things are just like so fast and furious. I don't think I could really pay attention to that, but it didn't really matter up until like we did that when we did that show in LA, literally Fred only sang one song it was just and the we one covered song. Yeah. the rest of the material ourselves. So I felt like that show was the the one that kind of like after we mulled over it like a year or so later and all of these kind of I, I was I I mean, you know, you're probably going to get to this stuff, but uh, the archival releases that that I put together during the pandemic that came out on Record Store Day. Yeah. Um, like once the once we were kind of putting those those were coming out and we were, the band was talking about it and stuff we we talked about whether we would play again and basically how we would want to approach that because it, like, it yeah. was great doing those other shows in the past but you know it just felt like we don't I don't want to do the same thing over and over again and uh, we realized that we had pretty much done that show in LA. Uh, 
on our own aside from Fred singing the one song. So it was like, I think we could probably do shows without having guest singers if we wanted to. And everyone, everyone agreed that that's what we were going to do if we did shows again. So, well, cause you got a whole new, yeah. you got people from back in the day. Sure. Uh, but yeah. you also have uh, folks that never got to see you ever in any iteration. Absolutely. And, and that's huge. Uh, it's uh it's notable for a lot of reasons but i mean i i mean i saw it it's meant a lot for people um you know myself inclusive i'm not like excising myself from that just to see those songs live again and especially uh, not that i'm saying that you need to do this or should do this at every show but like especially after seeing the documentary and then seeing then seeing it like afterwards oh it was like oh wow that's so it like it it, it hits different right instead of ending on like a like a sadder note uh, I mean, obviously, it's still ter- horribly sad after all these years. It's like, oh, it's more of a triumphant note, right? Like, did these well, songs still live? Exactly. I I think that, I mean, for years, you know, uh, Brainiac existed in well, the last century, you know, and when the whole kind of retromania of bands getting back together all the time didn't really hit until, like, th- this century. Like, that's when... Yeah all the reunions really started hitting like, you know, it became a big, big thing, you know, the reunion uh, industrial complex. I was was a little bit like snobby about that stuff. Uh, Honestly, like, you know, certainly I was excited about something, some bands that, that have reformed to do this stuff, but, but, you know, it got, it did get a bit eye rolly to me. And I always felt like, um, I would never want to approach a thing like that, especially not with with Brainiac. And so I totally understand why any fan might be like, I can't believe these guys are getting together to play without Tim Taylor being in the band. Because I was also that person like, you know, 20 <laughs> odd years ago. Yeah, whatever. yeah. You're I like, totally why would you do that? that? Yeah, absolutely. Why would I want to, and why would I want to see a band, even if it is all the original members, like, why would I want to see a band that's not like young and in their prime anymore? You know, like I understand all of those things about that, but for us, I feel like the process, first of all, also be year, you know, within the years after Tim died and uh, people like, you know, I had to deal with it in my own way and kind of overcome it and move forward. But, you know, people were afraid to ask me. I felt like they were afraid to ask me about, brainiac because of of that like they were afraid that i how would i react to it or whatever but at that point i was like i would have been totally fine for people to ask me questions or in interviews to talk about that stuff it wasn't it wasn't like hard to talk about it anymore the harder the hardest part had already been over but i think that by the time the documentary became a thing and we started talking more and we did interviews together and we actually had played like one or two shows like before the documentary we had actually did do a show in Dayton which I think helped sort of spark the whole thing but for us I think it really became a matter of like wow like this really important person in our lives like died and and our relationship kind of died with that and it didn't have to you know like we realized we were still really good friends and uh like we we 
enjoyed we enjoyed playing together still we just didn't really like you know it didn't it certainly didn't make sense like we weren't we never thought about like continuing the band without him or anything like that and uh i just thought like and also playing those shows like you know you saw the one in dayton it how much it mattered to people to hear that music again so it it really like Honestly, it changed. It changed. Our, it changed all of our opinions about that, and and that is sort of why I, I think that that we can, you know. And also, I was explaining to you, we, we, you know, these are. It it gave me the sort of courage to go through all of the archives of things that I have and do those record store day releases because I realized like this is it's more important than like my feelings about it and i know people want to hear these things and i know that like as a person as an older person like if tim were still with us that he would want those he would he would want that as well you know like it's a hard thing to negotiate how someone would think about that when they're 20 or 25 and how they would think about it when they're you know 50 or yeah who knows i mean and like you know and it's that way with a lot of with a lot of artists. I mean, who knows what Kurt Cobain would have been up to, you know, who knows what, like, you know, all these, you know, incredible people, people that made this incredible art. Yeah. Maybe they would have done a captain Beefheart and started painting or something like who knows. Right. (laughs) You know, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but it's, it's also, I don't know for me, there's like a, like a sniff test almost, if you will. And, and all of the all of the Brainiac stuff totally passed the sniff test for me. Not that you asked, but like <laughs> where I was like, yeah, that feels right. There's something about it that feels correct or feels like incorrect. And I'm not gonna name names for the ones I've seen that like I feel are incorrect. But like it, it's 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 nice to see, and it was doubly nice to see that you're actually bringing it down the road, man. Like that's that's like was a incredibly pleasant surprise. So you're gonna be you're going to be doing shows with Mogwai in, uh, in the, in the UK, which is amazing. I mean, <laughs> like, and to explain that as well, it's sort of like, if you just see that, like it's happening, it's sort of like, it looks like we may have ambitiously planned that stuff, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. uh, it really was just like one of those things, you know, there's, um, all that music had come out and I was playing some, uh, some festivals with caribou that Mogwai were also on the bill and those guys are buddies. And so we, we, I just had mentioned to them that, you know, we, this, this, uh, this other release is coming out and we were probably going to play some shows around it. And like, literally we were talking about playing like maybe two, maybe three shows. Yeah. And, so, uh, like, uh, literally a week later, uh, Stuart wrote me and and offered the UK tour, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh! Like, wow, that is that's that's crazy." Let me talk to the band, and I literally also thought that we weren't going to be able to do it just because people have I, lives, people have different obligations. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm the only one that's still a professional, you know musician that goes on tour so i didn't think that that we could all interrupt our lives and and make it all work in in a in a thing together but it luckily the timing was right on my schedule too like that by that time caribou is is done for a little while and uh yeah like 
everybody was able to commit. And the next thing we knew, we were kind of organizing the the couple shows that we were talking about doing around that tour. So, you know, because the other thing about it is we none of us li- live in the same area. Like, you know, so in order to get together to play, we have to we have to get together and rehearse a bunch first. And and it's right. better to play those, as you know, to have a tour or to have the shows in a row. It, have something to build for rather than just arbitrarily yeah. even something. Yeah, exactly. It's it's too much effort to get together to rehearse to play one show. And so yeah. um, that sort of fell into our lap in a really pleasant way. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a, uh, it's a happy thing. It's a, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of activity. In fact, I, after, after it was all like, decided and done and and the caribou stuff started dying down uh i i I sort of realized like oh my gosh like now we have to we have to like put this together you have to do it yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly (laughs) you know it's like there are literally i think there's 14 (laughs) or almost 15 shows there's another show that uh, i'm working on confirming but it's really just like yeah i was just like Oh man, like yeah. I I mean, I'm doing all the organization for it for, you know, like the booking the hotels and all that other stuff and so I'm grappling with all of the all of those realities and uh hold on a second. I I need to I I got to shut I got to shut this shit down. This is I feel me like crazy. you're getting correct answers on a game show every time it goes off, which is not the worst thing in the world, but uh yeah, it is it is very loud. I I mean, yeah, and and again, the logistics always are harder when you're dealing with longer distances, but logistics are difficult as folks get older and there's like other commitments, things along those lines. There's people, people with families and and things along those lines. It's not like, it's not like the same as like just going out on the road when you're like 20 and sure. Yeah. Let's go on tour for a couple of weeks. Sounds great. (laughs) Like let's, let's jump, get in the van and go. There's, there's more logistics and like, you're you're not going to be just like crashing at the punk house and <laughs> no, not this time. <laughs> not that that's cool. Yeah, we uh we we have a show in uh, we have our own show in Glasgow and our own show in London and then our own show in Dayton, of course. And I'm trying to fit in one more. Uh, I won't give details until it's confirmed, of course. But it's but it's U.S. It's or uh, U.K. Not tell them. Okay. All I'll right. say neither. How about neither? I'll I'll say neither. Okay. And yeah. Exactly. Cool. There you go. Be cagey about it. Don't don't give me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always feel like whenever I do say something may happen, then it, it probably it, definitely it won't happen. That's you that's know? look look man. You, you you explain my my entire worldview for like literally doing anything. Like okay, when it actually is happening, then we can talk about it. Until then, it's, it's one of the few talk. things I'm superstitious about. Honestly, like I used to talk about records like eps and concepts that i was like well you well what are you guys working on and like as soon as you do that forget it like <laughs> it doesn't happen it never a lot of these things never came to be and i was just yeah. like oh my gosh wow it's true well speak i mean speaking of things that are coming to be there's there there you know i don't want there's not any like subtle way necessarily to bring this up i was gonna try to go through all the all the records sequentially but uh do you want to do you want to do that first or do you want to talk about i think there's some news right 
There is some news. So you want to go backwards? Is that what? You want to- <laughs> well, I was gonna say like I I'd like to do is I'd like because we didn't really kind of did it a little bit when the rest of the fellows were on, but I, like I'd actually like to talk a little bit more about like the the records uh, in the past and not to put a fine point on it, but I'd like to have got Indian crooks on tape too. But I think news is news, man. And then and if there's folks that uh, are are gonna want to know, like those archival releases are great. Like that show that uh, was unearthed was uh, fantastic. You know, oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, the other uh, – there, there's a lot of interest in that kind of thing. I think I think the, the band – well, a lot of noisy bands from the 90s especially are having a bit of a resurgence now. And mm. some of that's new audience, right? And some of that's folks that, like, you know, it's easier to find things now. Uh, I think it's easier to find things. And also I feel like it's just one of those secular things where, like, I think there's, like – you know, 20 years of space between yeah. things and kids like kids get into the music that their parents were into or whatever sometimes. And, but yeah, the, I, I just see, I kind of see this certain type of like younger person that is just like sponging up things like the nineties. And yes. I, it, I hate to say that it's cute cause that almost sounds demeaning, <laughs> but, it, but it is, it's no, like, it's, I really, yeah, it's nice. Cause <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to watch someone like, uh i guess especially because i feel like the world at large kind of like the nerds that we used to be interested in like touch like they'd find out about everything that was on touch and go records is kind of going away like i've noticed this with like you know whatever being on merge with vertical scratchers as well as like caribou and i i just think people search out the things that they're searching for they're not really like label loyalists and yeah. they're not like trying to they're not interested in what like other members in a band might be doing you know what i mean like that's that's absolute utter nerd stuff and so whenever i see mm-hmm. like some kids kind of like deeply mine an area and then do that kind of thing it's like okay good there it's it's not totally dead there are still nerds out there that want to want to sponge everything up yeah, if anything, there's more of them because I think the the uh, instant availability of everything has sort of allowed it lowered the bar of entry for that level of nerdery. And I say that as an mm. old school nerd, by the way, who did find out about Brainiac through like the Touch and Go catalog, which has had the little like, here's what this band sounds like, here's what that band sounds like, and that's why yeah. I found Hissing Prigs. I was like, oh my god, I didn't know I needed this in my life. I didn't even remember what the description was, but uh, props to Jay, whoever or whoever wrote it for writing a very evocative description that made me want to check it out because it's, it's, and, and that was how you had to do it. Right. Or you had to be like, Oh, that record looks cool. I wonder what that sounds like. I don't know. Let's roll the bones. Let's go. <laughs> you know? I love the wondering actually. That's sort of like the thing that, um, the mystery. I mean, I try and I try and sort of remain in that world in a way. Like I, I, I don't, I try not to look things up sometimes and just, and just sort of like go with it so I can sort of be, uh, you know, I can sort of you decide for myself. Yeah, it, yeah. It, everything doesn't have to be like laid, laid out for you. For like, okay, here's the movie. Here's like the script. Here's how the casting choices were. Here's the behind the scenes. You could just enjoy the thing. Like, for well, yeah, actually, but it does. I mean, everything else, Conan, it tells you that it does because you, you know, you're kind of told as an artist now that you. If you're not on Instagram, if you're not like constantly engaging whatever audience is perceived to be there, then like you're not doing your job and you probably have no business like being in a band because, you know, the agents aren't going to pay attention to and the, you know, whatever the labels that 
prospectively might put out your record or whatever. I mean, you really, it's, it's made for the DIY kids that, 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 you know, uh, that are doing the digital thing now anyway. And it's not, I mean, like I, I feel like that kind of mystery, if you want to be someone that, 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 uh, is going for the mystery, you have to have, you, you just have to be banking on the fact that you're so good and interesting that you can ignore all that stuff and people are going to be like thirsting for it without right. you putting it out there, which is, which is a bad game to play. Which is it's quite the gamble. Yeah. It's like, it's like putting everything on black. Let's go. Here's, here's, here's the, here's the house. Here's the mortgage. It's all on black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, not to put a fine point on it, but like, Brainiac to me as someone who came from you know I live in Milwaukee now but I come from the West Coast and it was a very mysterious band. There was there was sort of like well what are these guys up to like what is what does this band what does the band look like what are they how what are they what is the show like I have no idea like and and I couldn't just go boop boop YouTube.com Brainiac plus live and find it out and that mystery made it more engaging. For someone like myself, who's like, you know, well, I'm going to figure out the puzzle. Okay, well, this is, I see this picture in this magazine that looks like they're playing. Oh, it looks like crazy. And then like, oh, here's somebody selling a crappy VHS on the internet. VHS, people. <laughs> Before we streamed everything. You know, stuff like that. But it, it allowed the the listener and the fan to kind of, if you if you are that kind of nerd, you can seek it out. Rather than, again, having all, oh, I'll just go to their Instagram reels and look at their last show. Great. Okay. You know, it's almost like... Like you can just mainline pie all day long, but you know it's there's something about longing for like oh wow I bet that pie tastes really good oh, I wonder what it tastes like, and I think it's 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 so different now, but it's harder to take that more art route because everybody is now like whether they like it or not creating content, and that's uh, you know I, I guess that's a different that's a different situation, but I feel like any any band that's like a legacy artist kind of got in before that like Brainiac got in before that right. But like you're a busy dude, you know, vertical scratchers, crooks on tape. Like you, you've not oh. been sitting idle in any way, shape, or form. But getting something new almost has a. It, it almost walks in with the deck stacked against it, just based on it being new. And I, I find that daunting, and and work against it the best I can with with this show and in in my life, but. There's only so much you can do because culturally, what we have decided is we surrender ourselves to the algorithm, right? So it's all about like whatever generates the most clicks. It's about whatever generates the most views, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. All in service of these great conglomerates that are just making these walled gardens for everybody to have, you know, approved fun for. And uh, it's got to be interesting as someone who literally never stopped, never stopped making music. To like like kind of ride those waves and find like you know from MySpace into and Friendster <laughs> into like you know the dawn of Facebook and then there's things like Bandcamp which is a great tool, uh, but you know that it's not the curative uh, single bullet to take care of the problem for making art, right? I don't even know where. I mean, to be honest with you, I um, as far as like. I, I felt I feel really lucky to have been on a label like Touch and Go, who kind of did things in a very particular and pragmatic way, as far as like you know, uh, like you know, dealing with bands and putting out records, and you know the how they supported uh, you know the the situation. But I don't know 
I guess just like, for instance, if I were to change gears and just stop playing music entirely and like, I don't know, like make, let's say I open up a business for like, uh, like cat toys and like cat, <laughs> cat things. And sure. that was going to be my bread and butter. I would be very excited to make like a website and a thing for that to sell those things. Cause they're not really like, they, they have nothing to do with me. They're, they're, they're like things that I'm making to share with the world about their cats. And, th- and, you know, like it's, it's not about it's. It isn't like a a creation that specifically has to do with my voice. It's related. It's not your creativity. It's not your art. It's an expression right. of people yourself. Don't, yeah. <laughs> people don't necessarily have to associate these cat products with myself. You know what I mean? They're just yeah. enjoying them because they love their cats and they they like the product. I guess what I'm saying is I, even though like your Bandcamp seems to be like a has been the best like sort of DIY place and the cheap you know the band camp fridays where they waive the fees and all that stuff i still have never bothered to really like set up slash share things on Bandcamp because i just don't even care like i i i'm kind of still more of the mind where i'd rather make records physical mm-hmm. vinyl records and if i can't do that i'm not even really almost remotely interested in just putting some digital stuff up and i'm not saying that's a good thing i just it's it's actually t- probably terrible, but that's just sort of how my brain has worked up until now. I don't even – can you tell me? Maybe you know a little better. I remember I heard Bandcamp got bought out by like – Epic Games. Yeah. yeah. Has anything kind of so – like far, people were really worried what was going to happen with that, but – I think I think a lot of people very cynically just assumed everything would be ruined immediately, but so far so good. You know, knock wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't they, – they seem to just be doing the same thing that they always have done, which is – Again, like one place out of, you know, whatever a dozen or so where everyone else is sharecropping essentially. But I think, I think there's something to be said for the fact that making an archival medium, right? Like, like you're, you're, what you're doing is you're doing something in the world that there's a tactile representation it's for the people that it's for, and maybe those people will change, maybe they'll you know grow. Unfortunately, sometimes contract, new people will come in, but it's not you're not just creating content on the content farm. Like, oh sure. Like, don't get me wrong. I I I do think it's like a a uh, a hang up of mine for certain, and it's something that I, I mean, I've been I've been ta- I've been pep talking myself for a long time about this, but I'm actually like this next year. It's been a really you know, uh, it's been a great year of touring, and after the pandemic and sort of like negotiating how to like come back out and do that with the whatever the, the fear of getting infected and or what would happen if you had to quarantine in, you know, uh, like Pensacola, New Jersey or something like that. For <laughs> Right, exactly. And like, like and, get a uh, hotel while you, like, uh, yeah, get over it or something. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately excited about, like, I, I feel a lot of great creative juices flowing right now, and I feel like I just have to just, like, stop being such a, curmudgeon about those things and and start uh i mean especially during the pandemic uh putting out the 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 great vinyl uh uh clog up as we would call it of of, uh when did that start 2020 2020 Uh, i guess maybe yeah and it's like Hey, here's your pre-order. It'll be here sometime next year great yeah exactly (laughs) sounds awesome that sounds like Sounds so like I can't really everybody. count on that. And so I should just like, uh, you know, 
join them instead of uh, beating my head against the wall, as they say. Let, let's pivot a little bit and talk about, and I know we talked about it a little bit with when I talked to the rest, you and the rest of the fellas about mm-hmm. uh, folks in the live show and like what songs to pick and like knowing like you know the ones that you know are obviously bangers that you knew from back in the day and uh, you know just what kind of way you wanted to present the band, what eras of the band, so on and so on. Uh, has there when? When the band was was playing for the ostensibly supporting this documentary and like doing it as uh-huh. like like an event versus doing like oh no we're we're presenting this as like the band is there any thought towards changing up those songs those that, that set and and what 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 is that thought process like in, internally absolutely I think that that that's sort of part of it is that uh, doing these shows up until now it was sort of presented I mean sort of like the first one we did was before the documentary and it was like in Dayton and yeah, like we got Michelle involved who was my, the guitarist before me and, and had local guest singers and stuff like that. And it was a total blast and, and everyone had a great time, but it was kind of uh, more or less like, you know, since Michelle was involved, like we, we basically did it like a career spanning Here's the, the, the brainiac the, review. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. And uh, and now I think like since we've done these archival releases and we're sort of uh, narrowing it down to just being like a four piece with uh, the three of us original members, me, Tim, or me, Tyler, and Juan, and our friend Tim Krug filling in who's great by the way like uh props because he wasn't on the last episode uh of course because it was just the core the core members but yeah what a what a powerhouse man what an awesome dude oh he's great he he's uh i mean you know he went to the same he's younger than me and tyler but he he went to the same high school as us and he played in uh a few different bands he played in a band with tyler as well uh, uh a few years ago and um he played in a band with uh, the ba- Tyler and I were in a band in high school with a guy who passed away, um, who was a very like dear person in the Dayton music scene named Jeremy Frederick. And Tim played in a band called the human reunion with him. That was very, uh, it fit definitely fit into the, the world and aesthetic of, of Brainiac and stuff like they were, that, you know, they were uh, oh, continuing on that that yeah. that Dayton heritage of of you know noisy synth freak rock stuff. So um, he was a very, I mean, he was the the natural and obvious person to to join us and and fill in the blanks. And he's a total you know uh, keyboard MIDI nerd. And so it really it it takes the pressure off of my shoulders to sort of like mine all that stuff because you know the other thing about this conan is like i mean we could let all this go and never play again and and sure like people would say like oh that like there there will there is no brainiac without a singer like tim taylor but like you know i've heard people cover songs occasionally and not that it's impossible to cover our songs, but you have to know the tunings and you have to, and therefore understand like what's going on, or you're just kind of like making your own version of it. And I realized like, we're the only ones that know how to do this actually. So if we don't, 
you know, if we don't do it, then it, it'll no one will ever get get to see any semblance of what it was like, regardless of whether, you know, Tim Tim was there to be the front person or not. And so, right, yeah. I just feel like that's that's like one of the big things for me is like we are, we, you know, I rem- I remember these songs, I remember the tunings, I remember the patches and and the you know the gear and and that's the other thing that's great about having tim krug along as he also i mean he knows all the gear that we use he and he knows how to use it so it's been just like it's been really uh great fun working with him and and putting together these songs again yeah well i mean and someone that understands the vision right that understands like the overall kind of mission statement to, to a certain degree like it's entirely yeah I, that's invaluable because it's not just like you have someone else playing it's like no this is someone that's like on board for <laughs> the <laughs> going on the enterprise out to like explore new land worlds <laughs> yeah i don't have i don't have to tell him anything you know yeah. like he, he he knows and or he's certainly paid a lot more attention to like you know like live videos than I have to what people are playing. So I like, I know my parts, but I'm not really necessarily always thinking about what like Tim was playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's just great to have a a foil like that. Well, and so then when it comes time to make the set, right? Like what, what's the, if you're not thinking career retrospective, like it was when you were having Michelle, obviously all you got the smack bunny baby stuff in there, you know, you, there's yeah. certain songs that maybe you wouldn't have played if, um, if, if she hadn't been involved for obvious reasons, <laughs> most notably Martian dance invasion. Cause she sings it. Right, right. <laughs> but I, think, uh, I mean, for me, I, w- I wanted to, appro- I'm not going to say there won't be, uh, some surprises and i think the best part is that there aren't any rules to this like we don't have to like be doing a quote-unquote like greatest hits or whatever you want to call it of of the band but i i you know we kind of are are trying to approach it as uh trying to be more like the band that we were towards the end so so got it 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 won't necessarily concentrate exclusively on like the last material because we we didn't necessarily totally do that uh as as a as the band you know in the 90s there we we still mixed mixed up things a bit but you know i've sort of been looking through those set lists and trying to to approach it that way and then so therefore there are songs that are in the set that like weren't you know like we're not afraid to be including songs that weren't recorded Right. But we're but we're in the mix during those time periods, and so, uh, but also just sort of like with under the guise of, yeah, like I maybe there may be some songs that I'm playing, Tim's guitar part if I'm singing it, and 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 Tim Krug will play my guitar part if it really does seem kind of impossible to to do both at the same time. Both of those, yeah. yeah. Because um yeah because again they wasn't necessarily how it was written right so it's it's gonna be you, you got to think academically to a certain degree uh, not just right. concentrate and feel uh and it is well well I mean can we so let's then let's talk about uh so talk about when when you came into Brainiac originally so Bonze superstar right uh, I feel mm-hmm. like that's you know no no harm no foul to Michelle but I feel like that is like where the band leveled up big time like I feel like there was a notable difference. Um, and the fact that, like, and I think it was well put in the documentary that 
lot of people were like, what are you guys doing for it? <laughs> You're coming in at that point to like an, an enterprise that already exists and you, yeah. you bring in your freak factor nine stuff to it. I mean, I think that it's like smack bunny baby is a, is a fantastic record. And, uh, you know how, you know, the rule of like whatever music nerdism where people always go back, they always say that like a, the band, whatever bands, you know, generica band X's first record is always the benchmark and all, oh, but their first record is so amazing, you know? Yeah. And the point is, is that like, yeah, like most bands, uh, some bands are like form- that. <laughs> Well, they, they are. <laughs> well, uh, most of them are. I think they form no, an aesthetic, and yeah. and their aesthetic sticks. And the best version of that aesthetic is the first record, when they kind of had the t- the most time and the least amount of interruptions, whether it be a label or the machinery or the touring, to sort of like get in the way, or or whatever the personal uh, drama that that may happen in a band. You know, like none of that yeah. stuff is is there yet, and so it's just the sheer like first aesthetic burst and that's exactly what did happen with brainiac you know with the first record uh you know they like did local stuff and won the like the local uh band uh uh what do you call it like they they did like a band contest thing where they won like best local band and and recording time and all that stuff and they made the first record and or, or demos to get signed and got signed and toured with all this stuff. And, and I guess I just, when I joined the frustrations that were present, you know, with Michelle and coming in as a fresh person who also was also like ambitious. Like I had a lot of ambition joining like basically one of my favorite bands. And so I don't think that Tim necessarily was expecting beyond anything beyond like, um, just like we, you know, me joining and doing a good job, like being the new guitarist and so forth. Whereas I was always like, you know, he would show me ideas and I would always like write a few different parts against those ideas to show him. And so I think it took him a little while to be like, oh, like, you know, he was unnegotiably the the alpha male presence of the band, but he was just sort of like after a little while, he was like, okay, like, John is like bringing a lot of stuff to the table and I'll stop, I'll stop like shutting him down because like it actually is less work for me to do if, if like, you know, if I like these ideas and, and so I think it was sort of gave, I mean, I think there are other bands like this too, where like the membership kind of changes and, and that gives new life each time, you know, to whoever is the most creative force in a band. I think like, you know, I'm not going to say for sure because I don't know how it worked in those situations, but like a guided by voices. First or band that came to my mind is guided by voices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, like Brian Jonestown massacre, which isn't yeah. really a band that I'm, I'm like necessarily, I don't, I, I was never really a fan or didn't follow them, but they've definitely put out a load of records and have had a load of members. And so I think that, that those changes probably, you know, helped stoke, you know, uh new, creativity and stuff like that so so what was the first what what was the first new song at the time that uh when you first came into brainiac that kind of you when knew, i joined the band yeah that like uh, what, 
like was that Go Freaks Go or something? Some of international? No, no, no. Uh, we I joined the band and we already had a tour like set up. So I I learned all the ones we were going to play from from Smack, uh, Smack Bunny Baby, and a couple of the ones that were like brewing that were going to be on Bonsai. And then we the first thing we ended up doing was this uh, the single for this local record label uh, that was a split with this uh, Cincinnati band called Lazy. And it was a this song called Dexatrim. And so that was like oh, yeah. the first one that we kind of worked through uh, as a band that was for like that tour slash like the next, the first recording I was going to be on. And that was really exciting and fun. I think everything at that point, like they had classically like any band that puts out a first record had toured and toured and toured and toured and toured supporting that. And then all of a sudden it was like, they, you know, the grass, the label was like, you guys need to like make a new record. Like you've definitely toured a considerable amount on this. And um, like Tim had had some material. I mean, I'm sure he was working on all kinds of stuff, honestly, at the time, but there, like, there wasn't really a lot like that it, there hadn't been enough time to really like work on things. And so suddenly we were doing this tour and when we came back from that tour and recording that Dexatrim single and stuff, like we kind of went in the studio. There were, there were demos for things, but um, like it was a real, uh, it it felt really spontaneous making Bonsai. Like, like there was a, a lot of like throwing the spaghetti on the wall and, and just trying things out in the studio. And I think I've mentioned this in the documentary. I don't know how much it, it actually came out, but um, you know, when we finished the record, it wasn't like a unanimous, like this record's awesome. Yes. We're so excited. It was like, we finished it and we were working on all the craziness that went into it, like up until the last second. And so kind of on the, on the drive home, we were all kind of like, is it good? (laughs) because you you get so deep into it yeah yeah but you know we're just sort of like it was a satisfying process but you're just sort of like like, like, what did we we make (laughs) is this going to be a good but is this going to be a good follow-up because when you do compare it to smack bunny baby like smack bunny baby is definitely like a very yeah it feels kind of like a normal record obviously yeah in comparison because it's because it it uh, you know the songs are kind of in more a uh, classic structure and and it and it kind of has like leftover sort of grunge era feelings and stuff like that right and you know it's just like bonsai superstar is just unbottled you know like well just look at how it starts i mean you start off with hot metal dobermans where it's like what <laughs> like what is what's happening right like it's a statement of intent basically mm-hmm. of, of, of like oh no you're like strap in like you're <laughs> You're going on a ride, friend. You know, and that's uh, I know. and it's it's definitely, you know, nothing sounds like that, especially not at the time. Like, you know, it, it was it, some bold bold decisions. I mean, you've got like um, like the voice samples and stuff, like on uh, altimeter, and um, you know, like just weird like effects on like everything, and uh, you know, it definitely opens up the idea for me of, of like what a rock band could be uh really yeah. really early on and and but again i could see being while you're making it just being like all right cool w- what do we just do <laughs> to a certain degree because you know like as much as 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 you have a, a compass creatively and are you know you're you're down in it 
you're down in it. And from the outside perspective, like that, that sometimes can be gold and sometimes can just be like right over everyone's head as well. I mean, I just think for me, uh, I was, that was like, you know, I'd made like a seven inch before that. And I'd been in bands that had made like recordings that had gotten reviewed or whatever in maximum rock and roll. But I, it was still a fairly new process to me. I'd never made like a full length record and, and that. So it wasn't as much like, do I like it? Like I, I was really excited. It just sort of like, then you start thinking about like, what are the impressions of other people going to be? And, and since it was definitely like weirder than, than smack bunny baby or yeah, than smack bunny baby was that you just sort of feel like, Oh, you know, what's the label going to think? And, and is it going to get trash? And is it going to be like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like how is this going to be like, kind of like the beginning of, um, the end, I guess, sort of, sort yeah. of a thing. You know, you just—that's when you sort of start start second guessing, like how the rest of the world will interpret that kind of work. And I've never done that ever since. Like that's the only time I personally have had that experience because I think that, like, first of all, after that in Brainiac, like, uh, when we got on Touch and Go, I think that the recording of that international seven inch was another lesson uh in sort of like figuring things out but after that we like there were meticulous demos for hissing prigs and so by the time we went in and recorded that record like we knew kind of the way we wanted to maybe even order the songs and 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 the kinds of things we wanted to to do to elevate them in the studio there was still some like screwing around and and spontaneousness that i think made those records that record really great but um well like meat hook right like just like the vocal stuff on on meat hook where it sounds like it's like the vocal was like literally disintegrating while it's happening i recorded (laughs) that in the basement of the house that tim and i lived in yeah it's a it's one of those like kind of bullet sort of harmonica oh, style. Oh, yeah, 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 the kind of ones that look like a half an egg or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, and the cord on it was clearly, like, damaged. <laughs> and so while I was, like, uh, while I was recording it, um, j- at that point in the song, I mean, it was literally, I, I, it was accidental, but then I just went with it. Like, I finished the vocal take, and then I took off the headphones, and because of the the, the tinniness of those style of microphones, it just like started feeding back immediately, in <laughs> in the thing. And I was like, I was sort of like, oh shit! Like I I I was sort of like batting about, and and the you know, like I hit the microphone, and it, it sort of like disrupted the signal and was causing all of that like sort of like intermittence. And yeah. uh, and then when I listened back, I'm like, oh, that's that's pretty great actually. Yeah, it like, sounds amazing, yeah. but it's. But like you know, if you if you set out to create that effect, you know you would. It you doesn't would, work. It never yeah, it, it never ever works yeah. out when you try. And, I've tried to reinvent, especially in Enon. Um, you know, you do things uh, that that are great, like happenstance, by chance, spontaneity, uh, and and you know, I was always sort of trying to because it started in the digital, uh, you know, age digital recording, where, yeah. Yeah, where you're just sort of like I, I, I would put together a group of samples and something was happening, and uh, like I would be like, I, you know, like for instance, my my uh, 
friend who produced the those first records, Dave Sardi, he was from, always from just the like, great you park know, market. Yes, exactly. He he was always like, you know, I I was always like, well, th- I really like the way this turned out, and so I was always trying to like kind of bring the demo aspect into yeah the the thing, which sometimes is the best i the best idea to do that, uh, other than you're kind of just dealing with something that is obviously lower in fidelity, but. Sometimes when you're trying to recreate the that kind of like spontaneity, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You it just know? doesn't hit the same way at all. It just you know, it like maybe it has the sound of it, but just like it just it just sounds crappier. <laughs> like it doesn't have that energy somehow. Like something's it's, missing. It's exactly. It's missing the energy is yeah. usually the problem. So what but, I think I mean, like that's so okay, so from from Bonsai Superstar, there, there's tons of touring. Uh, you got um, for for me again. My entry point was Hissing Brinks, which kind of mm. kicked my mind in certainly. And I feel like all of like the deep experimentation, the incorporation of like electronics and, and stuff like that, uh, there was something just that so assured about it that it was just like, oh no, we're now we're 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 doing a thing, and this is the thing that we're doing, and uh, and the fact that. Not to put you find a point on it. Most of the songs in that record pretty pretty concise, other than like what cracked machine. I think none of them clear four, if I remember correctly. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit of that record because that again that's where I came in. Which by the way, I thought it was hissing pigs in static culture for literally at least four or five years, and and then I felt like the biggest fool in the world for finally reading it and like not filling in the blanks myself apparently. So. Conan, that's okay because people are still <laughs> spelling Brainiac, Braniac, like we're the high fiber band. I don't really understand why because Brainiac, Brain is definitely spelled with an I. Like yeah. no one ever says your Bran. And uh, I mean, there's been enough. This is your Bran on drugs? Yeah. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't create the name Brainiac. You know, it was a, a comic book villain long before. Yeah. I don't know why it's so fucking hard for people to spell. But it's still happening to this day, even on the Mogwai tour and otherwise. That's so. astounding. That's a, that's really astounding. But but yeah. again, I felt like when I finally, because I had never, uh, I had never, I did not know what the word as much as I am a loquacious dude. I didn't know what culture was. I, I was I, I don't know what that is. How do you say? Is sure. that even say it? And so I, like it makes sense that like like well, look, man, I'm from the Central Valley. I'm from Modesto. You think we're talking about high high fashion down there? Absolutely not. Uh, well, we certainly weren't in Dayton, Ohio, either. Right, I think that's... <laughs> fun. You know, Juan went to fashion school, and and early on, like Tim and he were were both kind of into uh, you know like more glam stuff when they were in their 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 earlier incarnations before before Brainiac happened. But I mean, I just think that was sort of like part of a way to stylize something and make it yeah to to make it either otherworldly or or you know put it put it ahead and outside because you know when you think we we embrace the Dayton Ohio thing but you but also just sort of like having fun with with uh it's cool it's 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 just it's a cool thing to do too where it's like oh wow that's again that was like a like not a joke but that was like a reference that I got years later after I knew like every note of the record I was like oh my god that record is not what I thought. The name is not what I thought it was. And I just right. had been reading it wrong for like literal years. Cause let's be clear. In those days when I heard it, it was like on a, on a cassette cassette and a Walkman 90% of the time. Right. So I'm not looking at like the CD. I'm not looking at the record right. like on a daily basis. 
and uh, but anyway, yeah, like I mean, but that's I mean, I think that's a record that's been that ended up on a lot of like lists of you know best albums of the '90s and then things along those lines. I mean, that's can you tell me a little about making that record because it's it's something that I th- still kind of befuddles a lot of people songwriting and production wise to this day uh, in a good I way. Mean, yeah, like I said, it's the. F- it's the third album we made with Eli. And so we were already going to be going into a studio scenario where we had a great working relationship with Eli and it was super fun to work with him. And, you know, it's your third record. And so, like I said, we made, there were demos for all the songs. In fact, there were a few demos for some of them. And so we really kind of had, had all most of the bells and whistles worked out for how we were going to, you know, how we were going to record them and what was going to go into them with a, you know, a, a couple uh, curveballs in there and, and a few great things that happened. Um, but uh, I mean, you know, like I said, we sort of learned our mistakes from some of the other, other records that we made, if you want to call them that. Um, I think that when we did the uh, record with, Kim Deal at the helm, uh, you know, like I, it's not my favorite record, uh, for a few different reasons, but, um, I just sort of feel like, uh, you know, it was just sort of like learning how to the, I think that my favorite thing about that, that record is silver iodine and it, essentially is like an elevated four track like the the yes. most of the elements from it were already brought into the studio and just like basically uh you know a, a couple touches added and then and then mixed and um and then the you know the but like I don't really like the the sound necessarily of that and we re-recorded a song called Simon says mm-hmm. um that's on the CD version of the ep which is what i had i remember it well (laughs) and uh but you know i i honestly i didn't i I played on that version but i much prefer the original that was on the the super duper seven and so i was really excited to kind of rectify the history of that and put you know bit when we the of the the record store day releases to yeah which is great so more people can hear that version because you know you'd like to think that I like the version that I play on, but no, I, I, I think that the original is far superior. It's just one of those things that you're trying to reanimate something that original, that was originally, you know, the, the original idea is, is much better than, and that's the case for that. And then we, we recorded with uh, Steve Albini kind of an, he asked us, he offered his services to us and, um, we went and did it kind of like we had a few songs and we wanted to try out recording with them to see what it was like. This is before the hissing prigs thing. And, you know, I really didn't like that experience either. I think what we did was we went into the studio and we didn't really understand how Steve works. He's and and this is well documented now anyway, but Steve is a, he's an engineer and he's a recordist and he's not a producer and we happened to bring in a couple of songs that we didn't have 100% worked out. And so when we wanted to kind of like screw around or try something or weren't exactly sure, Steve was just sort of like, let's move on and or like didn't, didn't really want to 
do that. He was he was really much of that that aesthetic that he's known for. You know, like just capturing the band in the room. That's, that's capture yeah. exactly. And so one of the things that uh, and you know one of them was a cover we did, it was, which I, all this but, stuff ended up on the on the uh, from Dayton Ohio release. Um, but uh, the cover of uh, Go by Tones on Tones Tail. On Tail. Yeah was one of them and the other was uh the the original version of um nothing ever changes which basically we took the recording of steve albini's because the drums sounded great and some of the elements were good but basically tim wasn't exactly sure about his vocal approach on it Mm. and so we didn't really it didn't get released and because you know like it was like kind of the hurry up and let's like, you know, just get the recording get down. Get through it. And yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so basically it got ended up being saved and sort of, you know, finished up with Eli when we went to do the Hissing Prig session. And in retrospect, honestly, I kind of appreciate the hurriedness of Mr. Albini. I, I was like, a little I was unhappy with my like I do this weird harmonic solo on the thing on the on the recording and I wanted to re-record and he's like whatever rock star let's move on and then the the, <laughs> the the vocals was the same thing Tim was like I'm not really sure I'm singing this in the right register and he was like whatever it sounds great let's move on and then when we redid it in the studio I didn't I I'd already heard my guitar like as it was as Steve left it a bunch of times and I was like you know, we were fairly into embracing things, even sloppiness and so forth. And I basically got used to it and was like, I like it. I'm not going to re-record it. Right. And then also uh, Tim ended up like removing that vocal and recording like uh, a different main vocal and recording a bunch of like, like, you know, high falsettos type stuff yeah. over it, which is what, which is what's on the record. But now when I listen back, I actually prefer, for the Albini one because like <laughs> the more stripped down one. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. Because like Tim always ended, he did that quite a bit where it's like, Oh, it's got like the, the low cookie monster kind of voice. And then like these sort of high falsetto things. And like, it's kind of like, you know, maybe the, maybe the simplicity of this other thing, the other one kind of sounds like sisters of mercy. Or something right. Yeah. Like yeah. That. It's got a totally different vibe, which is, which is, which is crazy. Right. I mean, it's, so you never know, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, I, a, a lot of times I did things, on records uh, that I I thought was a mistake. I like I did it. I'm like, oh, that was like a mistake. And Tim was actually very encouraging of like, I th- I thought it was actually cool. Like you, you know. And yeah. so I would I would let little bits like that as well live because with his encouragement and you know I mean that's that's just sort of. But I guess to get back to what you're saying, uh, the Hissing Prigs record was like very. We were ready to go and record it, and we had a bit more of a budget than we had had for the other records. Um, and so we went and recorded the basics at water music and Hoboken with Eli. And then, um, yeah, it was like a, it was a fairly fluid thing. I remember the last day, uh, you know, we were trying to work through all this other stuff and kind of get them the, like it, it's sort of in the, the mix zone and we ended up recording one more thing, which was the song Sugar Coma, which um, oh, yeah. 
yeah. is on one of the things. But that's basically like the we'd already broken down the drum set. Everything was gone. And one of the reasons why this didn't end up seeing the light of day for so long is like Tim, for whatever reason, was obsessed with destroying the sound of the like it could have just been any regular kind of guitar sound but he <laughs> right, really he just wanted, wanted to make to like, the most crazy otherworldly thing possible out of awful. it yeah. <laughs> it almost sounds like it has like it, it sounds super tinny it almost sounds like it's got ring modulator so it's it's just an awful guitar tone in my opinion and then basically tyler ended up playing like there were like a couple folding chairs and a vibra slap and like we just we set this crap up and and eli put some mics around it and like that was the that was the drum sound for, for like for the that thing drum sound air quotes yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, i really like that song it's a yeah, it's cool. it's funny that that's sort of like the 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 sort of version that kind of like sat around in fact a few people uh that had had ver- that had had either a cassette of that song and there's like three different demos of that song and then that studio version and guess what like they're i mean it's almost like we were trying to like de-slick it in the studio to make it to make it yeah. match how awful the the guitar tone was and the <laughs> the demos but well, the, it, it literally became a race for a little while like who has the best version of this and i was like well i have a micro cassette version of it and i've got like i, I it was archived to a dat and then someone had like it on a a different cassette that had been played a zillion times in their car and so it was just sort of like i actually had the like I had Corey go and get the original reels and have it transferred so that we would have the cleanest version. And by the time we had that, I was like, oh, yeah, nope. I mean, it isn't really that much more hi-fi than Did what you like, originally had. Yeah. And these other things that were like the other demos or the other like, you know, recordings of the recordings that were dumped down yeah, because yeah. that's just how it was. And I kind of, you kind of want to believe that that it wasn't, but that's why it hadn't. That's why it didn't make the record or any of that other stuff, you know. Well, and that's so. one of the cool, and that's on the From Dayton, Ohio release yeah. too, and that's exactly. awesome. And that's again, if you're the type of nerd that goes for that kind of thing, like I am, then that's a great little treat to be able, to like, whoa, what's this craziness? You know, <laughs> that's right, awesome. Right. <laughs> so, so with hissing pricks is do you guys know like when you when you made that record where you were like oh yeah this is this is like the record that we want to make and this is this is exactly did Absolutely. you know it was gonna... when it was finished we knew it, like that we were satisfied with how it turned out and how we wanted it to be and i i guess it was like you know i mean for me that was the second full length and i explained to you how i felt right about it about bonsai but it was just sort of like, yes, the confidence of making demos and then working through these other things and learning from your mistakes makes for a confident record. And I feel like that it's been that way for me ever since with other bands I've been in. Like I don't, I've been lucky with Enan making those records with Dave Sardi because he was also like producing other big records. And so sometimes it would be like, it would be get worked on, but he wouldn't be able to like do anything for a while. And so I could kind of just, sit on things and like tinker with them. And right. basically those first couple of records, I got to do everything that I wanted to do just because it, it took a few different, uh, you know, it, it took months for, for him to be able to kind of get, get back in between working on these other records to finish them. And so, you know, like, I don't think I ever second guessed a single record I made since then, how I felt about it being finished, you know, and 
for better or worse, you know, like yeah, who absolutely. cares how you feel about it? That's <laughs> how the rest of the world's going to feel about it. Right, right, I'm, exactly. That's I'm a, not going to listen to it ever again. So you know, yeah, yeah it's not, it's not, exactly. It's a di- <laughs> different different scene. Uh, all right. So tell me about Electroshock for President, because I mean, the, they can they can see what that was like. You just were going to use like, like it's just going to be like electronic. Uh, all right, let's stuff, get right? back to making the making bad decisions and uh, learning from mistakes. Hold on a second. I, I'm just gonna let me let me get myself some water for really okay, quick. Cool, awesome. Two seconds. Not even. Not even. Not even. Wait. Maybe. Maybe 25 seconds. <laughs> of course, we're talking with Mr. John Marshall, the uh, the incredible uh, guitarist, vocalist, brainiac, in in crooks on tape, which we've not talked about even for a second. Vertical scratchers, live member of uh, Caribou, and uh, yeah, we're, we're now we're gonna talk about Electroshock for President. Did you just do a sponsor? Bump? <laughs> no sponsors, my guy. No sponsors. <laughs> Patreon only. I refuse all sponsorship. You. But uh, yeah, Electroshock. Let's let's go. So yeah, basically, um, I mean, uh, we well, we we decided that that there was going to be a sea change, and we were Tim wanted to gravitate away from like using. Moog's slash monophonic synthesizers, and um, we started to play around with some stuff. And also, we were being courted by major labels at that point. And Tim had got um, a an eight track uh, Otari from like it was like a lender thing from Electra Records that allegedly belonged to. Uh, Lenny Kravitz uh, <laughs> wow. prior to us, which was a, just a funny fucking thing yeah, uh, yeah. in the first place. But anyway, you know, like we, as far as being like home recordists and stuff like that, like it's one thing to just like, you know, uh, distort the crap out of like a cassette four track and, and manipulate those things to make your, your demos or whatever ends up getting turned into things that, may end up on records and stuff like that, like sort of spawn that creativity. We didn't have any outboard gear and we didn't necessarily know how to record things in the best way on this eight track yet. It was okay. But, um, but also we had moved studios, the studio that was in the house that Tim and I had lived in, like started having leaky pipes and was flooding the, the landlord was a was super derelict about like they just were never around and like you know whatever and and the house suffered for it. But we stopped practicing there and moved into this uh, basement complex underneath this like kind of abandoned shopping center where, uh, coincidentally, in the same uh, complex was fourteen seventy West, which was the like uh, like the popular gay dance club that played you know all the alternative music of of like that's that was those were like where the high school nights were spent and they're on after that you know for like the the cool youth of you know the Dayton area um but uh that basement basically was just like a couple of it was just like office spaces there was one other studio in there which was like this hip-hop studio and since you know, we, we kind of would go down the hallway. They had an eight track in there. And so we did some of the recording there because there was a guy who could like, like 
help a little bit or whatever. And I'm just saying that what we showed up with by the time we got to Jim O'Rourke's studio was like not a lot of they, the sounds weren't great, you know, like right. there were okay. the ideas were great, but like the drum sound wasn't great. The the vocals were like competent, but not, you know, just like they, it was it was a group of guys that that that, you know, were learning how to work this eight track and didn't and yeah. and didn't have a lot of like extra stuff, outboard gear and stuff, preamps to like, you know, make it sing. And uh it was great working with Jim. Um I mean again, like we we were we were kind of back to throwing spaghetti at the wall because we were experimenting more and I mean much love to Tyler and 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 such because, you know, there isn't a lot of live drumming on that, on that record. No, and, you know, it just show goes to show like his lack of ego in the, in the situation, because it, you know, we were just trying to do this thing and it wasn't about like four guys banging out in a room. We just wanted to make like an interesting record that would be sort of like, you know, sort of like figure out this new, aesthetic we were working on before we make like a full length realized version of this thing. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, being in Jim's studio was basically in his apartment, st- the steam room, which is what, what, what it was called. And, uh, you know, it was funny too, because he had this, like, I think it was like a 16 track console I forget what kind of console it was, but it was, there was a, it had some funny, it wasn't like, uh, it needed to be serviced a little bit. Like I remember him like kind of pulling up a couple of the faders and being like, come on. And he was like, you know, he he was like (laughs) trying to coax it into working. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, He was, he was was coaxing a little bit with, with some of the things and he didn't have a, a lot of gear in that place either. Like I remember we were using, uh, what was it? It was like a cheap Behringer kind of like expander gate thing that he put on the uh, the drums to try and kind of like to try and make them a little more musical than they sounded. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like I'll I just remember basically, you know, it was fun and 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 I I I, I really enjoyed like the. M- the process and the experimentation that went into that. And, and Jim really, you know, did like Jim was the right person to work on with that record for in my, in my mind about it, but I'll never forget. uh, And Juan got sick. We we all went there, but like Juan basically got super sick and was just kind of lying around and, and was just like, man, I really, I've got to work on the artwork. Like, I think I'm just going to go and like not infect you guys and like, uh, like start working on the artwork because you, you, you know, from making records that, you know, if you finish these things at the same time, they always need the artwork first in order to like get it ready. And so he was just sort of like shoot. And he also didn't really like much as everything else was a spaghetti on the wall thing. He didn't actually have his ideas worked out for what, what was going to be the, the artwork for that EP either. So basically, um, so he and Tyler, we, we drove separately. He and Tyler left and me and Tim stayed and sort of buttoned up the rest of the bits with Jim. 
And I'll never forget, Tim and I were walked out, you know, where we were finished and we're walking out to the car and Jim's just sort of talking to us with the, like the windows open and he's talking to us in the car and he said something like, so, Hey, I'd love to work with you guys again, but, um, maybe we can start from scratch the next time. <laughs> and, and we were like, yeah, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. And, and then like he walked away, walked into his house and Tim, before Tim and I like put the cassette into the player of what we had just done. And uh, we both kind of looked at each other and yeah, it was like, we, we just felt like we fucked up, you know, like we should, we should have, we should actually have done that. Like we probably should have just, started from scratch with Jim or on some, on some level. And it would have been like a bit more next level. And so for me, I was always a little bit like, Oh, that record, you know, especially compared to the progression of all the other ones before it, it kind of, even though it was like a new frontier for us with, with new sounds and ideas, and it was definitely a a cool sea change. It sounded a bit like uh, someone put like a wet blanket over top of it and, (laughs) You know, like I think I thought it could have been I thought it should have been maybe a little bit more hi fi. But I think that's also kind of the appeal for people about it. Like it's a again, it's kind of a weird, a weird record. Um, I mean, a lot of people really say that that's like their favorite release of ours, which, you know, I guess I have to just embrace because um, the material, I think the material is strong. I just thought that it could have been a little bit more. It could have been more. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could have been. I mean, look, there's like, I mean, Flash Ram is an incredible song. Like, that's like, that's on there. And that's, uh, you know, and it's, and the starting off with Fresh New Eyes that way, that's sort of like, as, as much as it, <laughs> as you say, you know, could, could have been more, like, that's a pretty bold statement to be like, oh, whoa, what are these guys up to now? Like, that's, that's kind of like, a, oh, all right, crazy. I mean, Trent Reznor was a fan, <laughs> you know, like, yep. and that, I'm not saying one way or the other, but like, I think it's an interesting EP, you know, it's, it's, it's maddening of course. And as everybody knows anything about the band knows, like it shouldn't have been the last release. Uh, you know, there was other things that you, you guys worked on and it's, uh, which I used well, to, used to be, you had to have Napster to find it. <laughs> so, uh, now that you mention it, basically, so you, you know about the, the uh, record store double day uh, double double vinyl releases of the from Dayton Ohio and the attic tapes that came out and this EP that we I, I told you about uh, that's coming out on touch and go this next year is basically uh, the la- a la- a last group of demos that weren't that are not on any of the attic tape stuff and they're kept right. separate because it's basically like uh, a all stuff that was on one cassette that was being worked on and so it's of a, of the time and of of that last era and so it it's basically like a sister ep to the electroshock stuff but it's right. not but it's all all new material but you will you will recognize uh, sounds and things in it. And so it's sort of like, I feel like it's a good, um, you know, sort of bookend to, to the other archive stuff and, and sort of like, you know, 
I feel like people have been asking for years, like, is there any stuff like, uh, were you guys working on things? And there was like actually a whole other eight track reel with songs, some of which did end up on like uh, LimeWire and crap like that, like early That's on, which, I heard really, it. <laughs> which really did piss me off. Um, yeah, sorry, I, I didn't. No, it's know. okay. <laughs> it is what it is. It's like, you know, I, a part of that now is me realizing like, you know, it's sort of like, Juan and I archived some things like right after all that stuff happened after Tim died and stuff like, and we were all kind of like, I was, I was going to move to New York and I don't know what point he had planned, but we were just like, well, before we all are just sort of like, you know, uh, parting ways and all this stuff, like we should really like make a concerted effort to like, you know, archive this or that and the other thing. And so uh, there was a dat of that stuff and, Basically, at some point, you know, people share things and somebody decided, like, I, the world needs to hear this and didn't ask anybody's permission or questions. And they just, like, uploaded it. And it was just, yeah. There you it go. Was kind of one this of is, it was made on, yeah, by someone different. I mean, but it's, I mean, the but idea. That's, that's how people deal with things. Like, that's, yeah. that was that person's way of, of course, they didn't really think, like, what what does the band think and what's right? And is it my right to do this? They were just more thinking like, you know, uh, that was sort of their way of like, you know, being Tim's friend or whatever that they thought like the world needs to hear this and I'm going to help or whatever. I that guess. should be heard. Yeah. Well, but, but it's fantastic. That there's going to be a release of this. So there's going to be, you know, again, for all the freaks, nerds and weirdos that are, are you know, love that kind of stuff to have an official yeah. release. It isn't like something that's maybe going to give your computer a virus <laughs> that comes along with it. Oh, well, what I'm saying though, is this, this thing that I'm talking about is never, it's never seen the light of day. I, that, I, the, the eight track stuff I was talking about, a few things that were on that eight track, did kind of make it out there. This was a this thing that I'm talking about is a cassette that that was in the collection. It's always remained with me, and uh, I kind of like really didn't even I didn't even a lot of these things I just didn't listen to. I just like kept, kept them, yeah. and uh, and so it was it was kind of a surprise when I was going through all these things that I like I found it and was like, oh, right. Yeah. There was, you know, because you kind of like the memory of that time period is sort of like cloudy, you know, after all that stuff happens and you realize that the band isn't going to go forward, you you kind of just start shutting down and you, you push out things that, you know, if I thought that hard about like the things that we were working on that would never come to be, it would just make me really sad. And so you just yeah. like forget about those things, you know, and uh yeah, it's cool. It's it it is cool. It's it's kind of like it's a treat it, for the people that care, you know, that people yeah. wanted to hear like <laughs> It took me 20 over 20 years to like sort of one have the courage I think through like um you know, the process of doing the documentary and sort of like the band are, you know, gaining like a level of sort of like comfort and uh, you know, confidence and then also it was a very classic pandemic thing, you know, like yeah. I'm not the only person who like, who like started doing a, a Mary, uh, what's her name? Maria, Marie Condi or whatever. The, the, like <laughs> the spark, joy. Just a spark joy. Yeah. Sparking, sparking joy of music. I was just like, I, I did a load of house cleaning and getting rid of like things. And then I got to like these suitcases of like cassettes and stuff. And I was just like, 
yeah, I'm not going to throw these away, but you know what? Instead of just like avoiding this stuff, I'm going to like go through it all yeah. now. Like, um, and you know, a lot of people did some, some, uh, some, uh, archival, uh, you know, going through slash, um, what do you call it? Like, you know, wrote their book. Retrospection. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) It was, it was definitely a great pandemic activity that, cause also I was really like, you know, the, let's just be frank here. I think some people were, I think if I were a different age, like if I were younger, uh, and, um, also like maybe, I don't know. It would have, it would have to be a very particular situation where like I had either at a job or just somehow didn't seem to be affected on all the other levels that the pandemic affected people. Like if I was just young and creative, like the pandemic could be a really, really creative time. But honestly, being the adult that I am and knowing the things that I know, like I, you know, like, I wasn't interested in writing about anything. And so doing this archival project actually was a great savior because it allowed me to still work on music, but it, but it was like, because it was something from the past that I was just sort of like going through, I could still like, I could be kind of creative with it, but in a more like, analytical process way because yeah. you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to like write lyrics for a song and I'm like, I know, like, uh, you know, we're all in lockdown. Like all these people made these <laughs> records during the <laughs> pandemic, but I'm just sort of like, you know, and you're, oh. you get to read the byline about it now, like, yep. And this person was in lockdown. And so they're, yep. you know, so they ran the record about it. Yep. Exactly. You know, this is my record. It's called hibernation, you know, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I love the Bo Burnham special, it's like, yeah, that's going to age like milk. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I am very excited for this release. I'm very glad that, um, well, first of all, that you came on to talk to me in general, but um, mentioned that on the show as well. And I think everybody who is a fan should absolutely check this out. I mean, it's, I think it's a no-brainer, right? Uh, we're gonna have to do this again because we there's a bunch of stuff we didn't we, we didn't we even touch vertical scratchers. We didn't touch. Chris I mean, Sante. you know, this is the thing, Conan. Like you, I think it's like a format thing for, to go through the yeah. like records and stuff like that. But I mean, and that's. That's great, but like I I talk too much, and I've been in like five or six bands, and so I you know we can't possibly go through all that stuff. We could, but but yes, it will take a long time, and that's fine. You'll, I think you'll this, just have to come back again, and that's this should okay. be more relevant to <laughs> this brainiac thing. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It is so fresh, so it's huge, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad that uh, that you came on to do it because you know I, I know there's there's a lot going on in the world, and uh, you know it's. Again, it's, it's it's exciting. It's exciting stuff, and I'm excited for you guys to be playing these shows with Mogwai. I'm excited for this. Re- I mean, that's that's awesome. It's just it's I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, last thing, man. Only can question I ever ask. You can choose okay. to interpret this however mm-hmm. you like. Mm-hmm. Why do you do what you do? Uh, because I have to. I think I'm one of those people. I mean, I look back on even after when I when I joined Brainiac, uh, you know, I quit I quit going to college and all that stuff. And of course, my family was just sort of like, well, 
if this is what you really want to do, that's great. But like, you know, my dad was just sort of like, you're, I, I support your interest in, you know, pursuing your goals, but you're like, you're on your own. Like, don't, don't expect me to like, you know, bill you out or whatever. You're making a, you're making a big life decision. And, and that was, that was fine. And it was of course the right decision because it was exactly, it was the only thing that I wanted to do anyway, when I was, you know, at that point in college and, uh, um, you know, when Enan started, uh, I just still had one. I had that, like, it was a crazy energy to have, you know, like I, I, I Brainiac wasn't done doing what it wanted to do. I wasn't even, re- I didn't, I wasn't ready to be the like front person in a band, but I figured out how to do that in the span of like the next year or two. And Enan began and I just kept going, you know, like that, you, you sometimes that's that's like what's propelling you you just have to keep keep going and and being at it and i remember like you know at a certain point doing that like everything was fine i'm living in new york city and i'm traveling internationally playing in this band so i'm paying my bills and doing all that stuff and you know like but your family is still sort of like so how long you get continued like doing this for right and (laughs) and it's kind of like oh yeah you don't you don't you don't actually think of me as successful because i'm like yeah i'm i'm just i'm i'm like doing what i love to do and i'm like totally legitimately surviving doing it and i it angered me at the time but kind of as an adult now i look back and i think Yes, I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. Yes, I was doing a very good job at it, and we were getting to see the world, and 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 it was it was great fun. But I, but but definitely um, naive, and so you know, I mean, like at any time, it could have gone pear shaped, and eventually, it. I started. You know, I got into by the end of the band, I was like, and pretty pretty significant credit card debt for my for my interests in being in debt and uh you know because i just was like must carry on have to do this thing that i do and so um you know that's why i say that i had to do it because if i really examined it um and had and thought very sensibly at all about like being um you know like uh whatever like oh i have to like save for the future or like i don't know like get a normal job or like you know uh i don't know then it wouldn't make sense and so i i do these things because i have to and i feel really lucky that i've been doing it for gosh like over 25 years now and you know that's that's just so incredibly lucky it, it's only it's only about the either the guts or the stupidity <laughs> and the naivety to 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 be able to do that you know like i have a niece that that uh just graduated with you know she's a she she teaches music now and um i mean that's an incredibly brave thing to do but she had always been asking me questions she's a very talented songwriter uh on her own you know and uh like but 
when they ask me the hard questions about like, you know, yeah, like going on tour or playing shows or I have cousins also who play music that, that ask me like, how do I do this and how do I do that? And like, it's just impossible to answer those questions really because <laughs> Right. You know, there's not really a clear path forward anymore. There's not a there's not a clear way to like uh, to get signed to a label or to get you know agency for playing shows other than just doing it yourself and being really you know it's because it's what you love to do. You know, so I say I have to do it because I want to do it, of course, right? right. But but I did. I had to do it. And I'm a stubborn person, so that's why I'm still here. That, that, does that answer your question, Conan? Yes, it does, John. Thank you All so right. much for doing it, brother. Appreciate you. Love you, brother. Thanks for, thanks for having me, man. Till next time. All right. Ciao, ciao. There he goes. John Schmerschel, what a cool guy. What an awesome time. Hope you guys enjoyed that nearly as much as I did. Uh, let's hear some hot metal Dobermans. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody.
changes on its own uh and before that hot metal dobermans both of those of course selections from the band brainiac featuring john schmerschel holy crap what a great episode that was so great of john to spend so much time with me hope you guys enjoyed that that was um there's a lot to cover and i feel like uh yeah barely touched scratch surface for enon Vertical Scratchers, Crooks on Tape. So much more to talk about, so I'll, I'll drag him in for another episode at some point in the future. Hey, everybody. The name of this show is Code Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. This show usually airs Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific, RadioNope.com, Twitch, YouTube, all over the damn place. Archives always free. ProtonicReversal.com. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you do like the show, want to support it, want to get episodes sooner, $1 a month, Patreon.com slash ProtonicReversal will achieve that goal. Thanks, everyone, for sharing the episodes around. Telling a friend, telling an enemy, telling a friend of me. All that helps people find the show. Uh, it's just a darn nice thing to do. Reviews, subscribing, all that stuff, all the type of stuff everybody says. Uh, it's appreciated. I don't take it lightly. 
Lots of cool stuff coming up. Stay tuned. Also, holy crap, check out that Rainiac release. <laughs> the demo stuff. That's amazing, right? Um, anything else? No, I think that's it. Thank you for your support. Appreciate it. Can you hear me now? Stay safe out there. Out on Route 128. Check you later. Got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the... It's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now?
isn't really broadcasting if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. Hey, hey!